Hello, you amazing people out there, and welcome to the Amazing Action Comics Podcast, where we are all about independent comics. I'm one of your hosts, Angel, with Phil Pepe. How's it going, Angel? Well, it's November. I'm still getting over this damn cold, because <laughs> the weather just changed. It's crazy. Like, this past weekend, on Saturday, it went from 70 degrees yep. to Sunday, 40 degrees. That's a 30-degree difference. <laughs> That's, yep. It's fucking insane. And you don't wonder why people are getting sick. I was right, wearing exactly. shorts on Saturday and then layers on Sunday. <laughs> this is crazy. So the, my freaking closet now is like half summer shit and half freaking winter. Yeah, you just yeah. never know. I hate that like, yeah, that, that, that mid to late fall, like warm spurt just before that you get slammed with like heavy winter, you know, because like, like oh. you know, it's going to be snow. We're going to have snow and then there were three months of darkness. Bite your damn tongue. <laughs> Not yet. I, I don't want to shovel shit until like late February. That's it. And then just, if it could just be like one day in February, it could be nine feet. I don't care. So if it's just once and we just accumulate it all in one shot, I'm happy. <laughs> three three to four months of winter, just all in one day. Oh, that's just it. Get it, done. Way, just just get get it done. done. That way everything <laughs> closes down. It's all good. All right. Well, we're one week away from Thanksgiving. So yes. we're probably not going to meet next week. Um, because if your in-laws are anything like my in-laws, they eat at like one o'clock in the afternoon. That's dinner. <laughs> and then their second dinner at five. Ridiculously early. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, so more than likely you won't, but we hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving and welcome yes. guys. Welcome to another episode of the Indie Comic Review. This is episode 88. So we did have some books that we pulled off the shelf this week. Oh my God, we're getting close to that 100, aren't we? Yes, we are. Um, but yeah, before we get into the reviews, we've just got some, yeah, some news. So why don't you get yeah, it off, though? Three, three things, you know, um, uh, the worst way to begin, begin the top of a show, but I would always be remiss if I don't bring some of these things up specifically, um, man, we, Kevin Conroy, like, you know, nothing else really needs to be said except that Kevin Conroy so influential, so many people's perfect Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, left us at sixty-six this, in the last time uh, we we spoke uh, on the podcast. So that's a that's a tough one, I think, for a lot of people. I know me. I mean, yeah, he's he's the voice you hear in your head now when you when you read Batman for the most part, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, from then, the animated to and most like most people that are growing up now, or you know, ten years ago, whatever it was, primarily know him from the games. Yes. So yep. I mean, just infamous for that. Well, famous for that. Um, <laughs> but and he the, even got to play Batman in live. Action, that's what I was just gonna say. Us, you know, which so is cool. like, we were blessed to have him one time. Yeah, um, what a great to bookend to like, I guess, his career uh, as Batman or, or progression. I guess that but, that hit, that was the apex. You know. But you know what's funny about that episode? So this was the, the crisis episode, right? The crossover yep. and stuff like that, and so. Uh, he's playing Batman. He's playing actually older Batman who's already been like crippled and wearing the uh, the suit to help him walk and stuff like that. Yeah, with very much like uh, Alex Ross did in uh, Kingdom Come. Yes. With, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I started watching it, and it was like the first time seeing him on TV. So I, I just felt weird. So I literally <laughs> closed my eyes, and holy shit, <laughs> Batman just came alive. It was crazy. <laughs> Uh, oh, but yeah, great. I mean, and we spoke about this last week too. Just unfortunately, it's like 
we're, we're losing people like it seems like every single week um yeah. which is crazy because it's just the generation that'll be lost and then you know it's not like that we don't have talent but this talent that we grew up with is just you know that's our childhood for the most part um, sure, a lot sure. of us for for me i think what what really sort of because i don't know i the, my weird you know i don't know probably borderline mind or whatever but like round numbers always captivate me right and so just uh, two months ago in september was the 30th anniversary of the debut of the batman animated series Mm. and so here we are 30 years later right like at two months uh that that he 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 leaves you know he departs the the, this plane or whatever whatever you believe uh but you know i i find always find those sort of things fascinating um which was going to bring me to my second topic too, like uh, something very influential in comics. Literally, the 30th anniversary is tomorrow, November 18th. Uh, would be Superman 75, uh, mm, mm. Death of Superman. Uh, you know, and it's just so interesting to think that within two months we had those two sort of watershed uh, moments in pop culture comic you know, history uh, happened in the same year. And this is the 30th anniversary of it. You know, Batman animated series, incredibly influential, especially Mm -hmm. for, you know, animated uh, iterations of, of, of these properties. And of course, death of Superman really became a game changer as far as mainstream interest, marketing events, you know, both good and bad, you know, uh, came out of that, that, that stunt event, storyline you know it's something if you do read you know like these people were definitely putting a lot of effort into it especially the issues after you know really trying to do some some good character exploration um and still you know deliver on both ends the death and the return you know the slam bang comic action you know that right. story like that requires now know? this was 90 what 92 92 right so 30 years ago we were 17 bro right <laughs> and on top of that you had image just starting in 92 so because they're celebrating their 30th anniversary so yeah it's a big round number but i I can't think of maybe you would know if there was anybody who died previous to superman that was a main character that like that big of a deal that big of a deal yeah the the closest i think at that point you know up to that point was what four years earlier 1988 the death of jason todd Oh, that's because right. that was yes, but no, crazy. that doesn't count. You know why? Publicity because stunned. people wanted him dead. <laughs> they hated that character. So the fact that the public, like ninety nine point nine percent of the public, said "fuck Jason Todd," that's why he died. <laughs> I, I I think people called in like ten times uh, just to just to just to have him in. dead. Um, what was when was Batman's back broken? Uh, that so now that again. You know, you, you look at super Superman is usually first to these things, right? right. First in comics, first in animation, right? And, uh, you know, in 1941 or whatever. So Death of Superman opened the floodgates f- for especially okay. at DC. That's what I was getting at. Breaking down and reinvention of characters. So what's yeah. really cool is that when Superman dies, Bruce Wayne is, is Batman and it is pre-Nightfall, pre-Bane okay. and back being broken. When Superman is resurrected, it is like the early half, the first half of the Jean-Paul Valley Azrael as Batman. 
Um, so he's, you know, he's built that first version of his unique Batman armor. Right. Uh, and had already, you know, had, had defeated Bane and, you know, was before he started to turn, you know, to, to take that heel turn. Yes. Uh, and that's so when it's... Dick Grayson became freaking annoying as hell. <laughs> Dude, he was just whining the entire time. Like, I can't get through those pages because he's whining so much. Why like, did you choose me? Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, so that, that that's that's the point that I'm trying to get at is that I blame Superman's death. Of course. And then coming back to life, that, that, that right there, that moment in 92, because now it doesn't matter. All superheroes die and they come back. But the fact that that was pretty much like the first one that actually even mattered because you're talking about mainstream media. I mean, it was on the fucking news. Which is insane, oh, yeah. um, and well, then people lining up trying to grab like ten copies so they can put their kids in college. <laughs> Guess what, suckers? There's so many of them; it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, now, now imagine being me, who had really locked into Superman, you know, '86 with the John Byrne reboot, the post-crisis reboot, reboot, and had really been following Superman as a a, a pretty much a weekly comic up through to. Uh, including death of return and Superman death and return of Superman. And to watch that all play out in real time was really fascinating. Uh, not, you know, to see the, the six weeks of the actual fight with doomsday and how mm. that technically was accomplished. We've talked about this before mm -hmm. the reduction of panels issue to issue until you get all the splash pages in 75. And, um, and, and then the, the, you know, month or two of Superman comics with, you know, with people dealing with the death and, and then a span of about three months with no Superman comics, they just mm. stopped publishing Superman comics for, for a significant amount of time. About well, he was months. dead. So the, what? He was dead. He was, he was dead. <laughs> right. And, but they really, to really create that illusion, right? Cause right. a lot of people really bought into the fact and believe he was going to die. Right. And, um, and not come back. They, they really thought that the comic company was not lying to you when they said, yes, he's dead for good. So to help sell that illusion, yeah, three months or so, no, no Superman comics comes back with this reign of the Superman story that plays out. And it's really one of the first, it's the, the first time in a while where the four independent books, you know, the four Superman books were independent of each other. They mm. weren't necessarily reading as a weekly. Mm -hmm. And then they did come together. And, and again, technically really, well done really that team was firing on all cylinders of those four books um and and then uh but watching that play off play out over a span of a couple months too like you know of who is this what's going on boom and how it all how it all came together almost a year later so that whole storyline in real time played out for almost a year i'd say like 10 or 11 months um you know, now you can just read it all in one sitting if, if you really have the stomach for it. But uh, but back then, just having it come out on like as a serialized weekly thing, it was it was fun. It was, yeah. You know, what's yeah. going to happen next? You know, and honestly, for me, it really does signify the death of that version of Superman and that style of storytelling mm -hmm. from the John Byrne reboot through to, you know, that return of Superman storyline, because after that, the titles still kind of did the same thing, but really did significantly change uh, and evolve after that. So for my like 
rabid weekly Superman, you know, fixation, that was really the end of that. It started to kind of get a little boring for me at that point. Cool. All right. So yeah. we have 30 years of death. Um, what, what's <laughs> next? What else do you have? Oh, uh, yeah. Just a quick birthday shout out to uh, my one of my best friends, Ben McIntyre. Uh, up in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, happy birthday week, Ben. Uh, ben, you you know, not only being one of my best friends, uh, also was my Saturday guy when I mismanaged the comic shop up in Burlington. And uh, he also was one of the people that helped me get back into indie comics uh, in the, uh, the turn of the last century, which is pretty funny to say but yeah the late 90s early 2000s uh we were you know he's helped me find some really cool new indie comics and then eventually yeah we were discovering together and a lot of our banter about indie comics you know uh you know this this podcast reminds me a lot of the conversations he and i would have nice several right. decades well, ago happy birthday so, ben. happy birthday ben yeah you're, you're, he's one of the nine people that listen to this podcast so awesome I don't even think he listens to it. So, <laughs> so you're wishing somebody happy birthday is never gonna listen to it. That's you fantastic. You never know. You never know when, when he might get around. That's that's two minutes of wasted airtime, but it's <laughs> all good. Um, all right, cool. So the, let's move on. Yeah. So Kevin Conroy, you know, may you just. I, I'm pretty sure God's up there, just like, hey, do the voice, do the voice, do the voice. So, come on, come on. It's come all on, good. He, he's in you a know, better I, place. All right. One of the coolest things that that I had read recently about uh, to, uh, Kevin Conroy. It was after September 11th, he went down to help feed the, the first responders, right? Mm. Uh, volunteered his time. And this guy, you know, he's like, no, I'm, I'm sure no one will recognize me because I'm just a voice, right? Mm -hmm. And this guy, this firefighter came up to him and said, hey, look, we all know that you're the voice of Batman. And I want to know, can you do the line, you know, the, from that one episode? And he goes... Okay, fine. So he just kind of gets up in front of everybody, all these first responders, and he does that, you know, I am I am the knight, I am vengeance, I am mm -hmm. Batman, right? And he said the joy on these people, the two weeks he had been there, he had never seen that much joy in one moment. I would have lost my uh, shit. I would have creamed my pants. <laughs> yeah, but that's awesome. So, yeah, that's also the kind of guy he was, too. Yeah. yeah. He, he was civic-minded as well, just like Batman. Yeah, and, uh, so just unfortunately we lost another one. So hopefully no more for the next couple of months, at least to the new year. Just give us a break, God. Just give uh, us a break, for once. right? Um, all right, moving on. So, all right, guys, so we're going to move on to the actual uh, comic reviews. So we have three books for you this week, and this is for the week of November 16th in the year of our Lord, 2022. So we've got three books. I think you have one and I have two. So I'll start. Um so I'm starting with I Hate Fairyland from Image Comics. Um, whew. All right, this is created and written by Scotty Young. It is drawn by Brett Bean. Uh, the coloring is by Jean-Francois Bouliot. And then lettering and logos by Nate Picos. Edited by Joel Enos. Um, I, so this is a second volume. And sometimes okay. we're kind of like iffy if, you know, something's been out previously and we're going to jump into the second volume. Are we going to get it? Is it going to be weird? um dude this book was great um nice yeah you know we know scotty young from most of like his chibi stuff which are like little kid characters uh mm -hmm. that he does but i will say this about scotty young he's like one of the few artists that can change up his style for mm -hmm. whatever topic that he's drawing so i mean he's drawn deadpool he's known for those chibi covers and then um his art style and um 
I Hate Fairyland, the first series. I think he was the one that did the art in it because he's not doing the art in this one. Um, okay, right. I think that, yeah. But just really great at being able to switch up stylistically for the feel of whatever particular story he's telling. So uh, he's, he's, yeah, he's one of my favorites um, out there. And, you know, he's, he's a good writer because he didn't he do, what, what did he do as far as an indie comic? That we so he, read. Yeah, he's an incredibly versatile writer, and um, the it was last, a horror book, right? The last two things that he did, uh, the uh, me you love in the dark, image too, was uh, the me you love in the dark, yep, yep, and twig, and twig, two very different stories, you know, two very different, different stories. And he's uh, also what doing that strange academy, which is like a huge book over at uh, Marvel, you know. Right. Uh, so his writing is very versatile too. Yeah. So he's just an, an, an like he he's definitely a comic fan and he gets it. So um, you you probably never be disappointed with you know picking up a, a Scotty Young book and 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 giving it a read. So yeah. So all I have to say about this particular book is when you open it up, inside it says the story so far. So I'm like, yeah, we're gonna get sort of like a recap of like the first volume going into this. Nope. So if you know Scotty Young, he's also really clever and sarcastic a lot of the times. So this whole story so far is just sarcastic write-up of basically just saying, hey, if you're really interested, go read the first volume and then come read this. Because you've already you've already picked this up, so you're gonna read it. Might as well read the first volume. Just I was like, you son ad, of a bitch. Like, you know, with the, with the diamond code and the ISBN. Exactly. You know, like- um, so pretty much if you read the first volume, you have this girl um, named Gertrude. She's go by, she goes by Gern or whatever it is, or Gert. And uh, as a little kid, she wanted to, she made a wish and wanted to go to Fairyland. So she got her wish and she spent many, 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 many years. And over the many, many, many years of being a Fairyland, she decided, oh, it, she just came to hate it and she just wanted to go home. <laughs> So basically, this whole first volume is just her just transitioning from this little sweet girl to this demonic, axe-wielding little wench who just wants to kill everybody until she gets home. So this I Hate Fairyland picks up after that volume where she has actually, spoiler alerts, uh, made it back home. So she's a lot older now. She's trying to fit back into the world. So she's, you know, um, looking for jobs. So she gets the job. Um, she does the job terribly. She's back to the classifieds. There's another job. So she can't freaking readjust to the world that, you know, is now. Because she was stuck in fairyland for over, I believe, 30 years. So right. it's 30 years later. <laughs> um, so basically you have this whole, you know, concoction of her trying to fit into this world. And at the very end, you get the twist of, you know where she's going back to. So mm-hmm. I won't give it away, but yes, yeah, she's going back to Fairyland, and there's a particular reason why she's going back um, for it. So it, it was good. I liked it. For not being able to read the first volume, it did a really good job of here and there dropping hints of what she went through um, and why she's having uh, trouble and sort of like these characters that she's had in the past that are actually coming back um, to her now. Uh, the art was great. The writing was great. It, it this was an, it was a fun book, and I you know I wanted to read. I, I wish it was a double sized, because um, mm. I would have had more to to enjoy. Um, but yeah, just that giveaway at the very end, and I was like, oh my god. So I'm gonna give this one a go because I'm pretty sure they're all short runs anyway. 
right um off of this it's probably gonna be a five or a six but the main reason i picked it up is because there were two freaking covers that were <laughs> phenomenal i mean but I your, had, your two favorites oh right? my god yeah that was like five covers but yeah art germ did one of the covers and jenny frizzon and i was like holy shit so yeah if, if you're a fan of scott young uh this is definitely a pickup um especially if you read the first one you probably picked it up if you don't know who he is this is probably you know if you want to get into the mind of somebody who's really twisted this is a really great book uh to pick up so i hate yeah. fairyland from uh image comments check yeah. it out well yeah and again it, it is very representative of, of scotty you know every creator sort of has their own their their baby right the, mm-hmm. the the one title the one series that they do that sort of defines their sensibilities and i think that's you know i hate fairyland is where he really got to express his voice for the first time outside of just being an artist uh so yeah so it's like something he takes a lot of great care care with of course which now, is great because read... he chooses a sarcastic girl to write right right now have you read the first volume or no i didn't i didn't read okay, it so, so but but this gave me enough to maybe want to go back and do it especially with that very detailed recap at the beginning yes um so uh, i like so to see that transition great. of her being a girl going into and, fairyland and then sort of twist because it's sort of like samurai jack Right. Deadpool kind of thing nice. is kind of like all thrown into there. So yeah, I, I might go check it out. It's already in trade, so um, oh, yeah. it'll probably be a good, quick read. But nice. yeah, awesome. check it out, guys. All right, what do you have? Cool. All right, so I have from Black Mask uh, a new new series, new, a new number one called Rogue State. Rogue State is written by Matteo Pizzolo, illustrated by C. Granda. Colored by Brad Simpson, lettered by Jim Campbell. I'm going to read this credit here and explain it later, but murals by Chuck D., Ramon Villalobos, and The Wolf Maria. And. Villalobos? Villalobos. Ramon Villalobos. And then, yes, The Wolf Maria, that is the name with a capital. T in the V and as well. Yes. Uh, and production designed by Phil Smith. I don't see an editor credit here, but uh, but moving on. So I, I read that thing about the murals because I want to kind of talk about this really quick. So there's a really cool thing that they do in this book where in the cityscape and the scenes of the city streets, there are these murals, and the murals aren't done by C. Granda, the the artist they're done by these other artists and they are, you know, plopped in. Right. So it really gives a nice effect because each mural is different and it has a, you know, so it's, and it, it kind of reflects that it kind of really pulls you in, uh, in a really neat and effective way. And of course, Chuck D everybody knows from public enemy and, um, couple of the variant covers are his drawings that have become the murals. Uh, so of course I chose one of the Chuck D covers because uh, also he's a fellow Adelphi university alumnus uh, as, as I am and, uh, and Gary Delabate from the Howard Stern show. So, uh, so, so I was Name drop. to see that. Name drop. Yeah. Guys I've never met, but happened to go to the same college with. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so this is uh, what they call the genre of speculative fiction, right? This is um, looking at what is going on today, and let's see what could happen tomorrow. And this setup is pretty, uh, pretty intense. Uh, basically, a contested presidential election plunges America into turmoil. 
protests and counter protesters are 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 conf- the, the conflicts between them are getting increasingly violent the police and the national guard can't handle it so militias start popping up then that gets contested so that goes to the supreme court and the supreme court leans so heavily into the second amendment that now these militias are duly deputized officers of the law Gosh. So you basically have, you know, the uh, the dumpster fire that everybody is 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 afraid that we're on the verge of happening has now happened, mm. and you have police trying to work with these, you know, trigger happy militia guys, and of course in these situations you have a resistance, and you are introduced to a character um, in the present day who is very much part of this resistance and she is on the run from this militia and i guess the opening scene there so one of the great things about this book aside from the the, the incredibly dynamic and real eye-pleasing artwork is the dialogue Mm. the dialogue is really snappy and even in tense situations characters are responding in a sort of humorous way that you know helps you buy into the the situation the scenario right uh so this she's she's basically trying to get away from this militia she's she's climbing the side of a building this guy points a gun in her face from from inside the building then this kid pops out of another window and is like what's going on and the tur- you know the she thinks the guy is the kid's dad it turns out it's the landlord the, and the kid like riley basically says oh he's the landlord he only comes by once a month when my mom's behind on the rent right so you know what's going mm-hmm. on there. <laughs> and it's just this real insane banter back and forth and in the midst of all this resi- resistance there's also this uh dependence on you know drugs and bootleg alcohol basically and so this girl tries to get out of the situation by giving the landlord uh some of her stash because she is also a dealer and you find out a little bit more of that later in the issue Hmm. and because of this the kid the little kid goes like what's that and and she's like "Uh, it's uh it's pixie dust that, that i'm gonna you know your landlord wants and and so basically the kid starts calling her dust girl and then that catches on so that is what becomes her name just from this initial encounter uh i kind of expand on that a little bit because it is a little important just to refer to her now as dust girl which she makes her own graffiti tag and everything so you have that situation that's in the present and a few things happen there that you know are going to drive the story going forward and one of the cool things artistically and stylistically is that when you have a character who has something, we're going to call it the MacGuffin, right? The, 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 that object that is just people are always trying to get their hands on. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, several pages later, you find out that, that Dust Girl has lost this MacGuffin. And it's done really well where it makes you go back and see like, wow, yeah, the artist subtly drew that in and then kept where that was hidden through the next couple pages until you have that reveal that it is missing. Mm. 
Mm. And I love when that happens, you know, when, when, it, when, when you, you see how detailed the art is and the writing is that seeds are planted and, and that you're able again to just go back and be like, oh, wow, that's really cool that, that it really did play out that way. Because uh, you're looking for that page where they're holding the thing or the thing is there when it should be. But you're like, wow, they kept it in shadows. Like, so that sort of attention to detail. I always appreciate because nice. that's sometimes that sloppiness can pull you out. Right. So this really helped to pull it in and you kind of have that scene at the beginning and then you have that sort of reveal like, okay, this is what they're going to have to be searching for or fighting for or whatnot. And then you flash back about nine months before everything went down and you get more background on this girl and, um, her partner, uh, in bootlegging and drug dealing at the time. Right. And, uh, who is also they, they play on the whole YouTube influencer thing. So the guy is a is also a, a, a YouTube influencer, but he wears a mask, but it's like a luchador mask. So that imagery is really neat. And their sarcastic banner back and forth is really fun <laughs> in the midst again of all this chaos, because this is like the pivotal riot that occurs. And the one figure that emerges who's wearing one of you know, because because the tear gas is heavily at play. Uh, everybody who's in the resistance is wearing, you know, makeshift masks or gas masks. And, you know, this one guy comes with that real unique sort of, uh, you know, that plague doctor, right, uh, mask the with, like, that looks like a bird, right? The long bird beak with, like, the eye coverings. And, you know, this guy comes, like, a great moment. He jumps up as they're launching, uh, the cops are launching tear gas, and he just grabs it in midair. And he's just wearing this freaky doctor, plague doctor mask with the, the pointed bird nose and a robe, right? And he just catches him in air and th- jumps on the nearest cop, pulls that guy's gas mask off and just shoves the tear gas in his face. Oh my gosh. And it's just this cool action beat that really the artist does such a great job at, at, at really making it feel like it flows and everything makes sense and it just plays out really well. Uh, and then, you know, boom, more tear gas gets launched. That guy gets hit right in the mask, you know, with, with, the, with the bird mask, you know, with the tear gas, makes a dent in the forehead. Uh, just some really cool details. So I dug this first issue. It has some great little seeds planted for where it's going to go. It's a little terrifying because it does feel like, yeah, this could happen at, you know, at any time, if, mm. you know, if we're not careful. Uh, but it is done again with the with the witty dialogue and the real fluid artwork. Um, it is done in just a, a way that doesn't make you feel scared, uh, but but that kind of your <coughs> kind of makes you feel, you know, you know, it's it's comforting in a way that it's not super serious and super heavy. That you get this sort of irreverence in the face of catastrophe. And mm. I think that's what really sells the book. So check it out. <coughs> Black Mask. Uh, it is a magazine-sized book, but it's not one of the like 48-page square-bound tabloid mm. size. So it is going to be a little bit odd to store, uh, but it's kind of cool because that really serves um, the art really well to have that wider canvas. Um, and it really does help immerse you as a reader. Uh, so yeah, Black, Ma- Black Mask Comics, Rogue State. Uh, Matteo Pizzolo <coughs> and uh, C. Granda. Great job. Bring nice. me more. All right. Awesome. I'm over here dying. I know. I could tell. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> it's all good. 
Um, yes. Oh, hopefully get over this cold. All right, good. All right, last one then. Uh, so that was from Black Mask, right? We haven't done one from Black Mask in a while, right? Not in a while, no. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, so I'm, last... trying to, I'm trying to, because we've been so image and dark horse I know, heavy. I know. Uh, even Vault and Aftershock. Like with Keen Spot and Black Mask, like I'm definitely trying to find uh you know like a blaze last week trying to find or you're trying to find stuff that is a little bit further out there right um it feels like it's getting fewer and farther between but yeah yeah especially when there's yeah there's so much out there but all right but well speaking of image our next book is from image it's called voyages um this is one of those uh all creator one creator books so you have created and everything done by sumeye Kesjin, um, and it's edited by Shama Matsuzak, um, and then there's some like alien language on the bottom that I can't make out at all, uh, because it is an alien book. Uh, it was one of these things where, you know, you read something the first time out, and you're like, what the hell did I just read? And then like, you have to go to the synopsis, and the synopsis gives you more information than the actual first issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, it's... so. Let's, let's, let me go back a little bit. So sometimes it can be me. I would say 80% of the times it's going to be me. Um, <laughs> or it could be, you know, the way that the, the book was presented. Um, so it, there's just, I think for me, for this particular book, all right, let's talk about the things that I really enjoyed. The art was great. You know, when we look at, you know, single creators doing everything from the art, that means the, the, the penciling, the inking, the, the coloring, to writing, to lettering. Uh, that's a lot of freaking work. So, you know, kudos to the creator for doing that because it is a beautiful looking book. There's some mm-hmm. great panels to pass stuff. Um, the character designs are really great. Um, it's a really cartoony style. Um, not as cartoony as Scotty Young's, but like really close to that. Um, so I really dug the art and I really love the, uh, the character design stuff. Uh, the coloring is great. Um, so those are the things that I really dug. There's some key things in here that I, I looked at it, I was like, ooh, I, I might use that uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to like either uh, positions or layouts um, or even shading and stuff like that, which was pretty cool. Um, so that, that's, that's what I really enjoyed about the book. And then there's some great like uh, character design pages at the very end, um, which, which also were really great. I love to see that stuff. I love to see uh, like artist process to, yeah. you know, the different costumes that they're going to wear. And this is the one that they finally chose. Uh, the different head positions and um, different expressions and stuff like that. So um, really cool. So the only, uh, it, for me, I think the, the I, I don't want to say it was a problem. I think the only thing that I did not gravitate into the story. So for in order for me, a story to hook me in, I have to care about something, whether it's the situation that, you know, the characters are in or the character themselves um, are so either vulnerable or so compelling charismatic, whatever you want, whatever trait you want to to add in there. Just, you know, makes you want to turn the page and stuff like that. And I did not get this from this book at all. Um, hmm. So basically you have these aliens that are on this planet or have been on this planet for quite some time. And the planet's been dying since this big impact that they mentioned. So we have another post-apocalyptic planet going on. Um, and then you have them scrounging for resources to try to be able to save their clan. And they use... Uh, organic matter as fuel so they're constantly looking for organic matter or and the planet's obviously dying so it's getting harder and harder and then they have these things called buckets which are like these alien ships that they're warring with that come and you know try to take them out um 
to their main leader, who is Primoris, I want to say is. Uh, so it's not the most clever and ingenious naming convention, but and you never see the the bad guy's face. He's like in his hood, and he has like this secondary bad guy character who's um, speaking, which is it was cool because Primoris only speaks in the alien language, so the text that's written out is just alien language. You have no idea what he's saying, but his assistant speaks in a way like he's answering his questions or answering his statements, so you know what he asked or what he said. Um, yeah, for, for me, I think there was just some like uh, some beats that were fast forward or things that I missed that if I didn't go and read the synopsis, I wouldn't have gotten it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I really uh, dug here was, well, not the only thing, but one of the other things that I dug was um, as they're escaping at the very end of this book, they see this uh, satellite, um, which would have been the Voyager satellite um, that we launched in space a long time ago uh, with the golden record. Remember that? Right. Yes. So they run across that. Cool. So so they run across it and the record's still attached. And so I. Nice. This has something. Like the beginning of the Starman movie. Correct. Yeah. So this has something to do with whatever is going to happen with the story moving forward. But it takes a weird turn towards the end where I don't understand what happened. So from, you know, having a character that I don't necessarily care about to a weird ending of the book, I'm like, okay, it's a five-issue miniseries. I'm really on the, on, on the fence as to whether or not I'm going to pick up the next one. Um, I, I really dig the art and stuff like that, and I'm pretty sure the second issue is probably going to clarify a lot of the stuff that I have questions on um, right. at the moment. So, And this is, this is the tough thing about writing an issue, number one, with you know a whole new world, whole new mm-hmm. cast of characters. And we spoke about this a thousand times when we mentioned it, you know, a double-sized issue to be able to tell more story um, yep. would probably serve better for a lot of things. Um, and like I said, it's it's probably 80% me who's just like moronic when it comes to reading comics that I don't <laughs> understand. Or it could just be that 20% where there, there's just some rough edges around there. I mean, it obviously got passed and it's on image, so it does make sense to somebody. <laughs> Yeah, and again, you always have to wonder, like, you know, because because again, if that's sort of the if the backstory is so dense, uh, yeah, is that going to be sort of parsed out and revealed throughout the course of the series, or do you have to rely on a synopsis to really clarify it all for you? I always find that thing, like, yeah, you know, I said that about Starhenge, um, that you know, written and illustrated by Liam Sharp, mm-hmm. like it was so dense what was going on there that I felt the only person, you know, and hopefully it's resolved by the end of the thing, but the only person at that point in the first issue who knew what was going on was Liam Sharp, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, or exactly what was going on. So I, that when you have a dense backstory like that, it is a, it is a tightrope walk, you know? Right. Uh, but I think that, that that's the, I think that's the, I don't want to say fault, but I think that's the thing about having one creator right. on an entire book is they, they know exactly what the story is in their head. And sometimes yeah. that translation of what they have in their head to what goes on a paper and what we receive, there's just something lost in, in transition to that. So sometimes yeah. when you have a creative team to kind of sort of like check each other, and I guess mm-hmm. the creative team here would be the creator and the editor. But if the editor has, you know, 20 books to look at, they're just looking for grammatical errors and does this make sense right now? Um, yeah. And if they're like on their 20th cup of coffee 
and it's the 11th hour and it's 12.15 in the morning, they're like, fuck it. So it, it could be any number of things. Yeah, but if you have a creative team that has an artist, an inker, you know, a letterer, a letterer might bring some, uh, attention to, to the writer in regards to something that doesn't seem right. So, yeah, it's it, it, tough. It's funny you mentioned that because I, um, I was making this comparison about uh, Jeff Johns um, recently uh, where – I, I, I do like Jeff Johns' comic book work, but I feel that his television work, specifically like his show running on Stargirl, and I guess he's also executive producer on, on the Titan show, but um, his show running, his, his TV overseeing, I find is a lot he's stronger at that mm-hmm. than his actual comic writing. Uh, even you know when he's playing outside of like the, the DC sandbox, his own thing with with Geiger. You know, I really love Geiger. I thought it was really well done. Um, but I felt like if it was Jeff Johns overseeing a team writing this, you know, especially for live mm, action, mm. which is definitely a different medium, I feel that it would um, it would be more fluid. I think that's the thing is I feel like his comic writing is very staccato, like da 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 Whereas what he's overseeing uh, for something like television, I feel like it has a much more flow to it. Right. So not just dialogue, but storytelling. Uh, question about Voyages. Is Voyages the name of a character? No, because I have no idea what it is. At this point, you don't know. No. Because it's kind of interesting that they're, they're doing the finding the Voyager, you know, with the golden record, which again, you know, that Jeff Bridges movie, Starman from the eighties, uh, does a whole riff on that and what happens right. when an alien finds that. But it also makes me think of, and again, you, I, and not, I always will say, I will always recommend watch Star Trek Two: the wrath of Khan. Probably never recommend watching Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, the one that preceded it. Um, it's especially to a non-Star Trek fan. But in that movie, the Voyager probe gets, the big reveal is the Voyager probe uh, makes contact with like a, uh, a life form that, and then it, it, they merge and they bond and it becomes this very like overpowering being, uh, which again, in and of itself was a remake of, uh, of the 19, of a 1966 episode uh, right. of the original Star Trek. So yeah, Star Trek, the motion picture actually just ripped off the plot from a previous episode oh of the God. show 10 years, 13 years See, earlier. There you go. That's why I will not watch it. I'm just uh, wondering if that's where this is going, where if, if, if something has, you know, whatever has, gotten the voyager probe has now assimilated with it or absorbed it and it's no 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 it's just floating out there in space so basically as they're running away they run across it so it's just been out there for i don't know how many decades um that it's been out there right so i think what's going to happen yeah so what i think is going to happen is me guessing is that that metal that the, the gold record actually has a mat back to earth Interesting. Okay. So there's there's going to be some kind of thing where they're going to come back to Earth and there's going to be some big war there. That's what I would do because yeah. yeah. But that that's just me. So, but we'll see. I mean, it, it, pick it up if if you want to. If you like like sort of like that space stuff and you know post apocalyptic. The art is really great. Um, the writing is 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 good. I mean, I was never really lost in the story. But like mm-hmm. I said, for me, like to invest into my time. I want to be invested into a character that, you know, is either has something at stake other than just, you know, I've been living on this world for I don't know how long. 
It's it's never going to repair itself. And then pew, 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 we get attacked. And then I have my sidekick, and he goes pew, 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 he attacks back. Because <laughs> uh, so, how many times have we read this? So right. it's always looking for that angle that allows uh, the reader mm-hmm. to be, become invested in, in that work. And because yeah. there's so much more out there, and we're reading so much shit every week, Phil, you know, what, what stands out in regards to, you know, what really turns our gears, what really hits mm-hmm. us in that right spot to say, oh, shit, you know, I've seen this a thousand times, but that was a good freaking twist off of that. That's, um, yeah, because that's what was refreshing about Rogue State, like I said. It's like a lot of those, like, you know, speculative fiction, things like DMZ, like Brian mm-hmm. Wood and whatnot, it reads so overly tense and overly dramatic and humorless right that to have that banter in that situation you know it's a great twist on something that is so familiar right yeah we need we need more stuff like that so yeah all right guys that's what we have for you this week um (laughs) if you like what you're hearing make sure you click subscribe to the podcast better yet tell 10 people who are going to tend tell more people we're going to tend 10 more people that's like a pyramid scheme, right? Yeah. <laughs> and eventually you have a billion people. Yeah, I just sent them to the podcast and let them listen. If you're a creator um, and want to promote you or your work and or your work, um, just go to amazingactioncomics.com slash podcast, fill out the form. We'd love to have you on and uh, chat you up and see what you got going on. Uh, make sure you visit amazingactioncomics.com to stay updated on everything that we've got going on. I know that I spoke about what's coming out over the next couple of weeks i'm still waiting on the books to come for project shatterbury i cannot wait to have them in my hands <laughs> we did print out a limited amount of copies so as soon as they come in i'll make the announcement and if you want to grab your copy you can go online and grab that as well um i did announce last week that i've been going on to i did my first what not live sketch session which was yep. pretty fun um i only wanted to be there for half an hour i ended up being there for just slightly over an hour because there was a lot of banter and chatter going back and forth. Well, not chatter, but writing. I, I, you could write to me, and then I just kind of respond um, yeah. live. So it, it was fun. So this week I have a, uh, a Darth Vader um, that's going up with a live uh, sketch session of Ahsoka, which is going to be pretty cool. So I, I don't know how much Star Wars talk we're going to have, because I my Star Wars knowledge is just not there. Um, maybe if AJ pops on and he just you know, leads the whole conversation, then we're good to go. Um, For someone who's never seen Star Wars, he knows a ridiculous amount. It's crazy, right? Yeah. yeah, son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. And listen, make sure you visit your local comic book shop, support them, keep them in business. Phil, where do you get your comics from? Well, I get my comics at The Joker's Child in Fairlaw, New Jersey. And believe it or not, yes, you said at the top of the show, in one week it is Thanksgiving. And that is crazy because after Thanksgiving is Christmas. And you could start celebrating Christmas early because apparently A Christmas Story Story, the sequel to A Christmas Story, is now out. Uh, no, Friday. For your, is it Friday? Well, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, tomorrow. So, yeah, ready for your eyeballs to feast on like a like a like a Chinese dinner restaurant uh christmas duck oh fudge um, so along with that of course is christmas gifts so yeah i'm gonna be pushing some christmas gifts for the next uh, few weeks that you get at the joker's child and i'm gonna start it off with the 
everybody's bane of Christmas, but you know what? Somebody out there wants it. God love them for wanting it. Uh, there is, of course, a pop for everything, and there is a pop album cover of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. So that is available for you to buy for either, I don't know, the worst gag gift ever or for somebody who really does love Mariah Carey All I, lo- All I Want for Christmas, uh, especially in pop form. That is there for you at the Joker's Child, along with millions of other pops and toys and comics and and all the good stuff we love. So, yeah, come on down to Joker's Child for your Christmas shopping. Fantastic. I'm always exaggerating, but it's all good. All right, so, kitties, we will not be here next Thursday because it will be Thanksgiving. So if you're going to enjoy it with your family, stay safe, have fun, half seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths. You can only do it one time a year. It's all good. And until next time, please be amazing, stay amazing, and read something amazing. Amazing.